Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. I'm Bradley and again I'm joined by Stu. Hey up. How are we doing Stu? It's been a challenging week, there's a lot going on. I'm sure everybody's impacted, especially in the UK, but globally as well. Yes. And it's at the stage now where it's uh, there's a lot of things that you have to deal with and juggle. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and it's been one of those iffy weeks, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's going to be one of those weird ones. I, I listen back to old podcasts uh, all the time, um, whether they're like Mark Kermo doing film reviews or even the old Joypod uh, podcasts and stuff like that. I like listening back to old ones. But I think when you listen to podcasts around this time, they're going to be like some kind of weird time capsule. Yeah, I think so. And I also... It depends on how it all shakes out in the end. It'll either be something like, oh, you know, we we practically cured it with the level of antivirals we have plus preventative measures we have in medicine, or it will be we didn't get far enough and there and therefore the whole of society has changed in how it interacts. Yeah, it, or there'll be, what, what do you yeah. mean, podcasts? You had a time when you had technology and you had to live normal lives. That, that's not possible. <laughs> yeah. It would be back to cave paintings and speaking around the fire. Yeah, um, I, I'm watching. I'm watching Future Man on Sci-Fi just to prepare for the next stage. <laughs> is that any good? I've not seen that yet. It is really good. It is superb. Yeah, it's 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 odd. It's not. It's, you can't logistically look at. Oh, sorry, logically look at it and go right. That's good about it. That's good about it. That's good about it because it's one of those where you you kind of take it in isolation and it's crap in parts it's like it's it's ham-fistedly acted in areas it's over the top but yeah it's brilliant it's just so good (laughs) to watch it knows what it's doing and i think that's the good thing it's self-aware right um and i think when when they're self-aware in that way they're good Uh, but we we talk about video games here not tv shows on the whole so um (laughs) as we go as usual Stu, what have you been playing a bunch really some for review some for just pure fun I've been playing tons of uh, Ace Combat 7 still. I just had a look at the time and I've done 26 hours in in a week. So that shows approximately how much I rate the game. And so, yeah, I've already completed it and I'm just going through again so that I can unlock even better and more sophisticated technology. So that's great. And uh, in between times, I've played a couple of little indie ones on the switch for review so fledgling heroes which is a sort of (laughs) flappy bird style game the review for that will be up soon and you can see what my take was and uh, 80s overdrive which is very much in the style of outrun and chase hq but bigger and more expanded and with a lot of wrinkles like uh, upgrading your car and things like that and yeah that's an interesting one because it, it feels like a, a project that both went wrong and went right. So the presentation's really great, phenomenal, really, for what it is. It kind of captures the essence of those sprite-scaled games like, you know, Space Harrier and Outrun and mm. Super Hang-On and all that, and Thunderblade from back in the day but whilst also having superior sprite work and having polygonal landscapes. And the handling model in terms of steering and the, the basics is fine. 
but it's got a really, really poor collision detection thing to the point where I'd l- I looked at other, other reviews after I've, after I've written mine and seen positive ones and gone, have people not really played this game through? Have they not gone very far down it? Because to me, it got to a stage where the, the way that you interact with other cars and the, the amount that they crash into you, which causes damage, which you then have to pay repairs for, stymies you so much that you're constantly paying for repairs and can't progress. So you're having to grind missions, levels, races that you've done before just to get enough money to keep yourself going. And it became really frustrating. And it felt like they'd turn the dials on damage and things like that far too high and not not tweak them properly. So I don't know, I'd be be quite happy for somebody that like yourself or or, or, Eno to play it and tell me whether I was way off base with that because it felt like a... A dodgy one. So what what I know about the game um, is obviously it's inspired by Outrun, Chase HQ, games like that. And it originally, I, I say originally, so I, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but came out originally on the 3DS um, a f- few years ago. Now, I, I'm wondering whether it's an unfortunate game in that when it came out on the 3DS as an indie at that time, you kind of people still look at indies as games that get away with a lot. It's like, ah, oh, it's you know, it's not as good as Outrun, but it doesn't matter. It's like a small studio, etc. And it's not bad for a 3DS game. Um, but now it's come to the Switch, and we're at a time where indies are leading the way. That it's the bits it did get wrong are just amplified whether you're playing something like this now and just going, yeah, this is, we've seen in other indies do so much better. You can look at something like Grip. Technically, it's a technical marvel by a small studio. And if something like 80s Overdrive can't get the collision detection or there's something off about that, it's just amplified now. I'm wondering if that, that was the case with you. Could well be. Yeah, that's definitely a factor. Also, you know, I, I'm very forgiving of a lot of things in games but when i do see a flaw i I won't let it go just to be generous you know because it Mm. needs you're doing a disservice to your audience at that point and i think one of the the major things that just to sort of put a bow on it before you know to send people off to read the review it felt as though they had gone right okay to copy out run we'll play the home conversions and get the best ones right, and then because we're then doing a home conversion style game. Mm. And the problem with that is, on all of those games, they had digital controls, not analog, but Outrun, and the best copies of that in the home in, that have come out in the last sort of five to ten years that have, have made sure that they've incorporated the analog controls. Because Outrun was a, a magnificent cabinet worth you know, tens of thousands of yeah. pounds in today's money. And they had full analog steering, full analog braking and acceleration. And you can't play the game properly without it. So you've got that thing I mentioned in the review of when you hit a corner with digital controls, you go in tap, 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 so that you're not just holding it down and sliding off into the, the verge, but also not just going straight and missing the corner. And yeah. When you're doing that tapping thing, A, that's really reductive. We solved that problem, you know, 25 years ago when the DualShock came out. Uh, and two, you've not using the the analog accelerator, yeah. which obviously means that you're having to like either let go of accelerate or press brake. And neither of those are sophisticated enough 
to create sophistication in the way that the handling model works, basically. Yeah. So you either sit back and accept that it's going to be really basic and like, uh, like I mentioned in the review, like Lotus Esprit Turbo mm. from like 1990, which was a tap, 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 tap style of God, driving. that was so ahead of its time. That it game, was. That it's was it's so a brilliant good. game. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really good. And you can imagine that if you took that today and said, right, okay, we're bringing that back. We're giving you full, you know, full acceleration and braking and uh, and steering in analog. That would be amazing. But, uh, so just to counter that point for a second is you're talking about obviously the digital and analog and the way analog works really well for Outrun. And, you know, that I, I've played in one of those full, sim, like full machines with the car and everything. It's just the best experience. But would maybe something like 80s Overdrive have been better had they have lent right into the digital controls? 100%. Because what you could do then is you could add an adjustment into the steering so that holding like left to take a left-hand bend is fine up until a point, and then you have to ease off the accelerator and you'll make the corner. And then the effort is on the player to anticipate the corner. But it isn't quite like that. It doesn't have that nuance. Now, that would be okay. But um, as I kind of say in the review, the, the big problem is that the collision model is cars drive through you. So they literally clip right through your car. That There's no physical object of your car. Yep. So they drive through you and you lose speed and, and accrue damage. So if you're trying to take a corner and a car and it's like a very tight turn and a car comes alongside you if you clip them even a tiny amount you'll slow down to, and they'll have very little effect and all of these things like sound like small things but when you're starting to do the harder levels and the tracks are getting narrower it notices it, yeah it's really yeah. noticeable so but what you've just yeah. described there is i now want to see one of those studios mate what was that toby thing from the 80s Oh, and, thundering turbos was it called if it, where you had the steering wheel you had the little uh screen on there but it wasn't actually a a, a computer screen it was yeah. like obviously made of sweat and you turned the actual physical car <laughs> with the steering wheel i want someone to make a video game version of that yeah it's just on a stick and yeah yeah <laughs> and it's just like just do the physical make it look as physical as possible on the screen but have it so it's those exact mechanics i'd, I'd buy that yeah I'd definitely buy. There you go. Um, but yeah. talking of, obviously, you know, I mean, I've got a reputation of I will just love all indie games and that I won't ever critique them too badly. To clarify that, I've been playing Super Mesh um, recently as well. Um, you talking about 80s Overdrive has just reminded me of that. And it got me to thinking, is what is my position on indies? And it isn't that I think they're all good, because clearly they're not. And it would be naive to say that. And Super Mesh kind of really proves my point with this. It's a game that took risks, stuck to its beliefs in what these risks should be with this game, and it didn't nail the landing. Um, and what you got was a game that its core mechanic is a fantastic idea, where you could take two genres of games and they are display and they're like cartridges. You put them into this special machine and it merges them. And it creates a unique game, supposedly at random. And I'll go into why it's not ran obviously not random. And you can tweak it by getting developer cards and changing settings and stuff like that. Um, and it's a really great concept. And when the games it produces are good, they are really good and really fun to play. But when they're not, 
they're a chore and they're really bad. And unfortunately, like playing, um, as I said, as I said in my review for this, in something like Dreams or Little Big Planet, Trials HD, any of those kind of games that have these level editors, you're probably looking at 80 absolute dross, a few good ones, and then a couple of bangers. Um, and that was the problem here. You're playing through some absolutely dreadful small games. Some that last 30 seconds or a minute, others can last up to five minutes or so. So nothing's majorly long, but they become a drag and you get to a point where you're playing the game where it's got good characterization, it's got a good story, good visuals to the overworld and stuff like that as well, a unique animation style. Then you play the games that you merge together and it just takes you out of it too much and doesn't quite work. Now, if these games were somehow purely randomised and they managed to create an engine that could completely randomise a game, then great. Do you know what? It's a really good idea. You accept that. But they've had to have created all these little individual games to a degree. So whether it's creating the sprites and then randomising the story words or doing, you know, procedurally generated levels so it feels differently like that. They still have actually created these. And they, it, whilst it's commendable that they've done that, they didn't quite hit that mark with them. And that's a real shame. And much like you say with 80s Overdrive and that uh, you start to notice things the further you go up, it's the same with this. You, don't, you start to notice and you start to get worn down by some of the mechanics. But this is why I praise an indie game. It's a new concept that's come out and it hasn't quite worked. But I've got a chance to try something like that and I'm glad I've got the chance to try something like that. Another developer has seen that. And they might be able to see that idea and do something else with it. Whereas games in the AAA space, they don't take the risk. And it's if a game fails, that's it. It's that that is dead now. It's dead. You know, we, we've seen like some amazing, really interesting games from the 360 era. We'll call it in the PS3 era. Games like Enslaved Odyssey to the West. Games like Remember Me that were enslaved people were wrong about by the way enslaved was probably one of the games of the generation in hindsight i loved it at the time and i feel gutted that it never got built upon remember me was a good concept that didn't quite nail it but the corporations behind them go no didn't make the money you can go off to the side we're going to bury you whereas indies you know if the games are done to take risks see how they go and then develop further um, and it's glad it's there. Doesn't always mean they're good, like '80s Overdrive. I'm glad it's there. Yeah, it, it's a good, it's a really good point you brought up there. Because if you think of something like the game, the games that you mentioned, and also what was sort of rattling through my head when you were talking with Scribble Notes, yes, is you want people to do that. You want you want them to make new inroads and do something completely new and exciting and fresh. And there, and then if it doesn't work perfectly there's enough in there for you to be happy that they've produced it. Like, for example, <laughs> nowhere near being an indie game, but Death Stranding is coming out on the PC in June. Mm. I'm going to buy that sort of day one, even though I'm 55% sure I'm going to absolutely hate it. But I want to support the thought behind it. Um, yeah. With 80s Overdrive, it's very specifically a, a retro cash in now cash in might be a bit strong but it's certainly not bringing anything that there's i can say categorically there's nothing in a game that's new other than the fact mm. that certain 
people had to draw it and therefore the art style is you know slightly different from the 80s things that it's copied but other than that in the driving there's absolutely nothing new no new ideas no new handling model so that makes me feel a bit like ah but you had you had the space there to do something exciting yeah to move away from that the other game i saw you played was fledgling heroes i read your review um and that'll be up on the site now she said um you just went at the age you just went full hudsucker proxy on it you just kind of went blah 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 blah. you know it's for kids yep (laughs) um yeah i i kind of get that it's kind of i I don't mind games like that where you kind of look at it just go yeah well not for me but kids will like it that'll do and you get a huge amount of confidence from that um from playing it and going oh yeah no it is aimed at kids instead of it being like oh hang on they got it a bit wrong and so they've just said oh it's an under fives game it's not like that at all yeah it's it's yeah so it's basically like floppy bird but it's structured into levels the the structure they've ripped off wholesale from nintendo which is a great thing to do really so you can go through the level in the easiest way possible and it will be a really moderate to easy challenge or you can challenge yourself to take the tougher routes and complete some objectives and get extras and now unlock special levels special characters and that's exactly what nintendo does and it's a brilliant system and it's perfect for kids you know you can jump in jump out you can have um at longest probably a 10 minute session on it or you can have a 30 second go it really is designed for those little short bursts because it was originally a mobile game and the way that it looks is gorgeous it's not a sophisticated game but the way that it looks is is really lovely it's that cut out and uh pop-up book style you know clean geometry very sharp rectangles but all stitched together to make very pleasing and gentle characters and beautifully colored and animated and yeah you just stick a kid with that and they'll be you know, happy as Larry for as much as, ooh, 25 minutes. So. That's fine. Again, it's why I don't do, I, I decided with this site, we'll never do review scores because with a game like that, I, I suppose objectively, you need to mark that down as a, if you were to give it a review score. I mean, I'm guessing you'd be looking at maybe a five, six or something like that as a review score yeah. for something like yeah. that. Um, and it brought me back to th- thinking about one of my most played games was Jetpack Joyride on the Vita. Now, objectively, not a great game, very repetitive. And if I was to review score that, you'd be looking again at a four, five, six, maybe a seven. But for what it was designed for, which is a quick burst, absolutely spot on. And fledging here, as you say, it's not for your Call of Duty crowd, your FIFA crowd, your World of Warcraft fans, or, or anything like that. It's designed for something just to have there as just a quick blast or to, to entertain the kids as a babysitter for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Every meal doesn't have to be a steak. You know, it can be a, a cheap burger, but you can still enjoy it. That's it. Yeah, I, I enjoy Finder's crispy pancake every now and again. You know, it's... Ooh, I want one of them now. Yeah, yeah, but if you was a food critic and someone served you Finder's crispy pancakes, you're not going around and raving about that food at that household, you know, as much as you would do that that five hundred pounds steak at that specialist restaurant. It's but both are fine. Well, this is why you shouldn't listen to critics. Well, apart from me and you, obviously, because we know everything. Because we don't, we don't, and um, we don't score games, so we are completely objective. Oh yeah, I just do it so I'm covering my back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this game's crap, but it's okay. <laughs> it's not completely crap. There are redeeming features. No, but it's, again, I'm, I'm happy. I'm gl- 
you've got to accept the lesser games to appreciate the absolutely outstanding games. And I'm just going to touch on the one outstanding game I've been playing this week, Dungeon of the Endless on the Switch. And I've had this game for about three weeks already. Um, and I originally played this in 2014. It's a roguelike tower defense strategy game. Um, and before everyone turns off because they've heard roguelike again, it works in what it needs to do. It actually feels that it was built like this from the ground up. And it's by Amplitude Studios. Um, who've done Endless Legend, um, Endless Space, and are doing the upcoming Humankind. Um, and they are a fantastic studio anyway. Um, but yeah, it's a game where you will do repeated runs and it kind of mocks you into, uh, this is how many runs you've done. Let's see how many times you've won the game. Oh, look, none. Five, you've had 155 runs. You've not won a single one. Yeah, cheers for that. Uh, but it's basically you kind of crash land on a on a planet. Um, you've got to basically make your way to the top, and you do this by exploring, resource gathering, and going into different rooms. It's a retro styled thing. Um, it's slow paced for the most part, and it's turn based in your. This is where it's different. It's turn based in your exploration, but as soon as you encounter enemies, it goes real time. So, and they will try and attack the core that you need to take up to the surface. They will come and attack that and you need to protect that. So the tower defense comes into it that you can put turrets down, the defensive things, other kind of weapons that will help defend this core. And the roguelike features come into it that when you die, game over, you go back in fresh. But also every new floor you go to, every bit of weapon upgrade you've done is lost. So you've put all your turrets down to protect it on that floor. You've got to go and do it all again on the next floor. And whilst it sounds a chore, the game is a joy to play. The, the sense of discovery and the sense of progression just works so, so well. Now, I played this originally on the PC in 2014. And I kind of bounced on, off, on and off of it a few times because I was too distracted by other themes, other games on the big screen. And I felt it didn't quite work. And I wanted a Vita version for ages. And I was desperate for a Vita version. Now it's on the Switch. Boy, I'm glad I'm back into this game. It is spectacular. You can't underestimate how important the console you play something on is, can you? It just transforms some games. Yeah. What we're seeing at the moment, there are still certain games coming to Switch that I don't think need to be there. I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to playing Bioshock, but I don't think that's needed on the Switch, personally. Mm. Um, I see why people want it, but I don't think you're going to get anything by having that handheld. I know you can dock it and things like that, but if you can dock it, you can get it much cheaper on the Xbox um, via backwards compatibility, for one. So it's kind of... Mm. I'm not really seeing the point, but something like Dungeon of the Endless, oh, yeah, beautiful. What a great title. It's like Sword of the Fighter or Gun of the Shooter or Feet of the Runner. It's like the most basic, yeah. basic game title. But I looked at it, it looks really gorgeous looking. It, it's got a great style to it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it does have that, I suppose, 8 to 16-bit quality about it but they've somehow really modernised it. The, the animations work really well, and it makes it feel like such a modern game. 
you don't even notice it looking retro. Um, and yeah, it's one of those games where I'm trying to review it, but I don't want to spoil too much. And I don't need to say too much about the gameplay because the reviews from 2014, you can find all those about the actual gameplay. But one of those games, if you're hearing about this for the first time, just pick it up and give it a go because it is worth the experience. It really is. It's one of those special games um, that just everyone should give a go to. It's not going to be for everyone, but you'll find something in there that is worth your time at least once. Cool. I've checked that out. Very, very briefly, I've been playing Streets of Rage 4 with a friend online, and just to say that's fantastic. Mm. And uh, I wasn't sure until I checked it out, but you can cross-play between Xbox and PC, which is good. Yeah, that, that's again, it's good to see. I know this is between sort of like Xbox and PC, but it's good to see that I think more and more titles are trying where they can to put cross-play in. Again, I think that's only going to be a benefit moving forward. Yep. So, I'm not even going to try and segue because I, I, I've struggled this week. You've mentioned to me as well, and obviously you've had a few struggles this week. Um, this time was always going to come um, in in the UK where what happens to try and get us out of lockdown and what would the message be, when will it happen? And the government have screwed it. The message has gone from nice and clear of stay home, stay safe to, hey, use a bit of common sense. And uh, there's one thing general public don't have is a lot of common sense. On the whole, we need to be told what to do in situations like this. And we've not been told what to do. And there's so many contradictions that for me, and I know it's the case for many others, my anxiety levels are through the roof at the moment. Same with you, I'd assume. Yeah, pretty much. Cause it comes at you from different angles. And f- for me, it came with, you know, sort of, you get into the eight-week stage, which in one in one sense, it feels like it's gone dead fast, but in another, it feels like it's been forever. And you, your mind has gone through so many changes, and you're just about coping with, with how that's going. But then it's hitting this point, and the advice comes out, and it, all the advice points to things being easier or better. And then you're looking at the statistics, and the, the number of deaths and where we are in terms of the world death tally, and it just doesn't compute. And you're like, well, A, why change the messaging anyway? But B, if you're going to, surely it would be to to tighten things up even more, you know. Uh, and to have that, that in itself is frustrating. But then, uh, you know, speaking to my family, and, and they've interpreted it in different ways, and we've had arguments. And... Me and my wife agree, but unfortunately, it, hitting this point and the way that it's been delivered has sent her into a bit of a spiral. She wouldn't mind me saying, and she mm. her depression is in full effect at the moment and has been for a couple of days. And you know, all of the weight of that is is really down to how the messaging has been conveyed to me. Yeah, and. Tried the, the one thing that hit the most was obviously they gave the message on the Sunday and there was obviously it was a pre-recorded message and you can find all stuff about how it was edited and stuff like that and obviously there were changes made at certain points. Um, 
and then it was kind of we'll follow up that with more information the next day. It's like, no, don't do that. Why? Why are you not just giving us all the information straight away? Because you're allowing people to start making up their own ideas of what it is. And when you've spent ages in a campaign telling people, don't trust the government, don't listen to the government because they'll 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 um, they'll fob you off, they'll give you what you want to hear. We're the right ones that you should listen to. Um, and do what we want, do what we want, but don't listen to this. And then you try and get a straight message out. People are confused by that. But when that message is confusing, that you can meet people in a public place one at a time, but you can't then meet that same person in your own private garden, that's confusing. That you can work with four or five people in a fairly close space all day, but you can't spend half an hour with them in a park as a group because that's too many. It's got to be one-on-one. And these children can go back to school, but these children can't. But we're going to try something for these children. We've set out a road plan. By the way, what we're trying to tell is this road plan might not hit, but we're still going to give you these specific dates. It confuses. And I'm going, well, I don't know when my kids can go to school. I, I, I'm really confused. What I do care about is my kids' futures. Now, my daughter is young enough that, okay, the social side of it, she's three years old, the social side of it she's going to struggle with, but I think you can overcome that to a degree. Um, And I get that that's an issue. Education-wise, she's not missing out at the moment. But my son at the moment, what is he going towards? What can he do career-wise? He doesn't know what's going to be available career-wise over this. So these kids at the moment have got nothing. But what our government are doing at the moment, this is where my anxiety level really has hit because of this. They've turned around and you can see this is all to do with getting the economy kick-started. It's to keep the capitalist culture working, to keep those gears moving. That's all it's for. They're doing it at the expense of people's health. Yet they're somehow trying to pivot and show, oh, no, we're doing this for you. We're trying to do this for everyone. If you can go to work, go to work, but don't go to work if you don't have to. We're putting it on you. We're not taking the responsibility. And I don't want the responsibility of potentially sending my children out or me going out and finding new work or anything like that that puts other people at risk, that can potentially kill other people. I don't want that responsibility. Not in a crisis. That has to come from those in in power. And then putting that on us. That terrifies me, and that has got me so wound up. And my anxiety levels, as I say, are through the roof because of it. And I'm struggling with what to do next. I, I just want to pin down even further in my flat and say, "Look, we're just not going out." Yeah, uh, yeah. I think everything starts in this in this situation. Everything starts with the kids because kids affect you know how a large proportion of the public can work. Because uh, of childcare and and also how many teachers have to be there, then there's the congregation thing and how many of them are in one space and then can come home and transmit that. And other than you know hospitals, it's one of those and care homes. It's one of those flash areas. And if you don't have like you can pick that thing as, uh, and go. If we don't have clear guidance on this, we're, we're screwed. And I think everyone has looked at the so-called guidelines and can pick a really good example of in their life and go this doesn't make sense we're screwed so i've been told like you know uh, 
my redundancy, unfortunately, has been restarted and, and July 31st is going to be like my end date. And that's mm. not going to change. So they gave us a, a, a pause in the redundancy process that I naively thought was going to be for a, a couple of three months. And it ended up being five weeks, I think. That was it. So, you know, come the beginning of August, I won't have a job. And I've been looking at the job market and it's not great. And with the messaging of, oh, go back to work on, on Monday, oh, unless you can work from home, how many companies are going to go, right, okay, we need to restaff. So let's bring people in, you know, we'll start having interviews in the traditional style. This is the thing that just specifically impacts me I'm talking about. We'll bring them in, we'll interview them in the traditional style. Yeah, we might have a bit of social distancing in the office, but, you know, the government says people should be back at work. Our competitors are going to be back at work. We're going to have to be back at work. So am I going to be going into a market where I've got to put myself at risk? And, you know, this is just my my one strand. Everybody's got their own one. And without stay at home and, you know, here's the furlough scheme and, you know, these are our guidelines. This is how the state can help support you whilst trying to prevent you from carking it in one of the most hideous ways imaginable. You know, we've just got a wishy-washy statement that, like you said, puts all the pressure on the public. I am more motivated to find work than I've ever been in, in my life. I am so motivated to find something that as soon as it's possible that the kids can go back to school, that that's not because I haven't got the money. That's now because I have that safety net. And it's, again, why I still stay, and I've said it before, universal basic income is the answer to get people into work because what you don't then get is a situation like this where god knows how many jobs are going to be lost because of markets dying because people haven't got the money to go and spend or to do other things um companies are having to fold so they can't employ people which means less people having money people are then having to try and find work they're scrabbling for jobs jobs they might not be skilled enough for i'm not skilled enough to work on a building site for one i'm not skilled enough to do other so i can't drive a bus i can't drive a train I can't go and work in care. But these are the people that are keeping our nation and every nation going. They're keeping them moving forward at the moment. Yet we're already at a stage. Those in power are worried and they're already manipulating things to a degree that we can start to call people low-skilled again, that they're not as important. And by the, the whole thing, so this um, Captain Tom Baker, was he called, I think? That was Doctor Who, wasn't it? But yeah, no, it could be. It could yeah. be his. Uh, I, can't, um, I don't know his surname. Can't remember his full name, right? And do you know what? I will always say, absolutely fair play to the guy for doing it, right? And I've had arguments with my partner about this because he's going, but he wants to. It's great that he wants to. I said, yeah, it is, but he shouldn't have to. And she's going, but he wants to. I said, no, but he shouldn't have to. We should not be funding the NHS by an old fella who's about to hit his hundredth birthday doing laps of his garden to raise money. If he wants to do that, that's great. But he should be raising money for a local charity. Yeah. Something I've, that yeah. isn't shouldn't be funded. It's ridiculous. I know. But manipulate people to believe that's the way we should do things because the government are going to try and find a way out of funding the NHS as soon as all this is done. Yeah. And that's where my anxiety levels are going every single day at the moment. I'm having these internal rants. Um, that was a nice external rant, though. <laughs> but no, I, I've made the same point myself um, to family and friends as well. Yeah, that, you know, somebody generating 100 million for the NHS, it's 
sounds brilliant, but we've been manipulated because the NHS costs 400 million a day and that 100 million is nothing. It should be going towards deserved charities, but charities shouldn't exist. Charities show, I, I love charities and I support them. I've been part of them and I'm part of them, but they shouldn't have to exist. They're there because of a failing elsewhere. It's where people yeah. have gathered to put the mortar into the cracks that your society is, has left. And to do it with an institution like the NHS should be so transparent to people. Uh, and the fact that it isn't transparent to people, when you're already paying national insurance, income tax, council tax, you know, these huge chunks of the money that comes into your household is already being paid. So these things work, you know, to, to say that it needs to be almost at a charitable status is ridiculous. It is. And I agree with you there. It's, you know, I'm so grateful. My mum helps run a charity for ADHD children and my son has seen benefits from that. And you stick that against like Farley Hospice or or a cancer charity. People aren't going to go for that ADHD one because that's not as heartwarming as helping someone who's suffering from cancer. It's not as heartwarming as helping the elderly or anything like that. And I am not saying in any way, shape or form that any one is more deserving than the other. I'm not going, hey, ignore those, go for ADHD kids because it's misunderstood. What I'm saying is we've got to a thing where it's a competition. Who deserves funding? And that's okay. Yeah. When I was volunteering for Samaritans, we, the like the care people, the people in the care profession had so few um, the CPNs, you know, the, the community psychiatric nurses who visit people who are in extreme need, had so few resources that their their response to people who were in desperate help, a desperate need of help was often call Samaritans. So we were being used by the NHS. This is not the fault of the CPNs themselves. Mm. We were being used by the, the NHS as a resource. And we are a resource that shouldn't have to exist in the first place. And that just goes to show you know, how devolved the care profession has got and how little money and funding and uh, there, there is available in it. It's, it's abysmal. Yeah, it really is. And what I find happening, I say, because my partner, she does care work, and I, I tried arguing that, that I, you know, I don't go out and do the clapping, not because I don't respect the NHS workers and care workers, just because... It's something that happened once and it was almost spontaneous and that was great. But then it almost become a mandated thing you need to do. It's like, come on, drones, go out there, applaud the NHS. Let's ignore the failings that are still there from those that can make a difference. We are applauding them. And you're starting to hear it. uh, People who work within the NHS... People care us. They do like it, and it is great to see, but it shouldn't be a mandated thing we have to do at a set time on a set day every week because it's there. It's to disguise what's wrong. And, yeah, this, it's just really weird. I went from a set, this period of just being really calm and okay and even happy at one point to within a few days, that was just that's just completely gone. It's just completely knocked out of me. Yeah, and as I say, I know sort of like when I asked how you were at the start, you know, we're now getting back. I'm hearing it a lot more. People go, not great, actually. Yeah, I think we're in a 
we're in a, a, cri- a crisis point now, I think, I feel. Yeah. And I don't think it's been identified in the media quite yet because they always seem to be quite far behind how the general public feel. And I think that people, even people who are traditionally more right-wing, are starting to question what the hell is going on now because, you know, people could listen to the message of stay at home and some of them, and people, some people ignoring it or getting it wrong and accept that because there's a, there's wiggle room and because the English, a whole separate topic, but the English are not good at being told what to do, even by leaders. But there was a, you know, okay, uh, you know, we're going to try and course correct this into the, into the right direction by staying the course with this advice. And I think that for them to come back and, and, use this green branding to imply everything is moving in the, in the right direction from danger to safety. I, I think everybody's reacting to that. They're seeing the stats and that they're not going down and they're going, the advice isn't clear enough. And this is just driving everybody's anxiety through the roof. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I th- but it shows the importance of language. Yes. Yes. Um, but also, you mentioned a point where you're sort of like even some of the more right wing commentators are sort of coming, sort of like starting to question. Have you had that point yet where you've kind of sat there, you see something just gone, me and Piers Morgan agree on something? This truly is the end times. <laughs> What's what? When did Piers Morgan become the voice of the people? I've been signal boosting him. That's how bizarre is that? Um, I mean, they've even angered Phil Schofield. It's just ridiculous. But yeah, the the language thing is one thing. And the you're right. For, I mean, I've got a design background. And colour is important. Colour is important. You're right. Using the greens and yellows, that signals go. That, 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 that signals just move forward. Yeah. That's telling people, look, these are the words, but subliminally, go out. Go out. Yeah. This, it's almost like they're actually still trying for herd immunity. Yeah. But we've said it in this way that, do you know what? If we go for herd immunity and it goes wrong, it's your fault. We, we were saying stay alert. No, stay home. And it's But yeah, Scotland have got it right. Uh, Wales have got it right. Northern Ireland have got it right. I agree. Anyone listening who likes the more personal chat, obviously I do apologise because we prefer that as well. Mm. I'd rather not be jumping on political stuff. But unfortunately... This week, I think it's one of those where it almost has to be approached. It's completely, um, yeah, it's completely inseparable because, yeah. you know, I don't get upset by stuff in the normal course of events. And, and no. yeah, I think, as we said, it's the same for everybody. There's pick anything in your life that's a routine or that's tied to something logistical, you know, taking emotion out of it completely. There'll, there'll, be, a, there'll be a problem with it now. There's a problem with yeah. that decision. It's like, am I right? Am I making the right choice? Am I following the right guidance? And just have that lack of surety in your own, you know, decision making process makes you really anxious. Yeah. I would say, you know, yeah, we still need to just be as safety cautious and insular and indoors as much as we can. Yeah, uh, no, and it's, it's a vital message. And bizarrely, it's to say you're seeing that message come from even entertainment shows, I suppose, like the likes of This Morning and, and things like that. They're actually going, just look, do what you was doing. Stick to what you was doing. It was working. 
avoid much of what they've said to show difference. If you actually want to see the schools open, just don't follow what the government advice is. Stick to what you was doing. We'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think we're due another big spike in the next week or two. Oh, unfortunately, I agree, especially after that bank holiday, which, oh, oh, my dear. Yeah, that's, again, that's what tells you that this new method is poor. They didn't announce it on the Friday or Thursday before the bank holiday. They announced it afterwards. Why after a bank holiday? Because they knew if they'd said it before the bank holiday, what would most people have done? They would have Everyone have been on the streets, out. yeah. That's all you need to know, that it was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Simple as that. But I don't want to bang on um, about it. And I want to finish on a positive to a degree. I've not been doing many videos this last two weeks because I've been waiting on some new equipment to come. Stu provided me ultimately with a, is it a preamp it's called, Stu? Yeah, something like that. It's like the yeah. phantom microphone amp. Yeah. So my voice should sound even better or worse, depending if you like my accent or not, I suppose. So, but my, my voice should be coming through clearer on on the podcast now. So I've lots of things behind the scenes that I've been doing. And yeah, so more videos should start to come out. We've discussed a little bit about trying to do, converting some of the written reviews into voice reviews um, via some, over, over some trailers and stuff like that, just to vary it up a bit. And so you haven't just got to read. They will be on video and possibly we might even look at some audio reviews. You don't really see many of those about. So we might even look at doing some of those, see how they stick as well. Lots of things in the pipeline, a lot of planning in the background, growth on the site while everything else has been falling apart around. One thing that seems to be going well at the moment is the site is growing. And yeah, thank you to everyone who listens, um, everyone who contributes. It's just amazing to see how, how much this is going forward. Before I do another attempt at signing off, Stu, anything else you want to add or chat about before we finish? So, the, I mean, ev whenever we're going through crisis situations, obviously things are going to get to points where they're incredibly difficult. But I think the one good thing to look at and the one thing to keep hope in your heart about is that people genuinely care. And they, if they didn't care, then they wouldn't be anxious about what's going on. And they care about you. They don't just care about themselves. There's lots of people out there who are ready and willing to speak to you and to hear about how you genuinely feel. So don't be afraid to reach out to them to see how they are and tell them how you feel and just share that community bond. And sometimes it will make you feel a little bit better. And then in the meantime, between those times, just stay safe. Absolutely spot on. And just to, to clarify, everything we've said before with regards to the situation, we are not at any one point claiming that we have the answers, that we are right. Essentially, this is mainly me, unfortunately. I, I will try and get out of habit, shouting into a void because we get the opportunity to have to talk about it in a way. Um, and we don't have the answers. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone has the answers. We are all in this together, though. Um, and as much as that has been a phrase that has been bandied about and sometimes doesn't mean as much, as we've stated before, we are, we're there for you in various different ways, whether it is on our Twitter, whether you want to come to our Discord, that's all there for you. We will continue to provide resources for anyone that needs them. 
like, subscribe, whatever it is you need to do, wherever you listen to this, it really helps us. It helps boost what we do and get our message out. Patreon or uh, coffee, support us via those if you want to. And again, nothing is gated. It's just if you want to support. Sorry for the ranty one this week. Hopefully back to whatever normal is next week. I've been Bradley. Been joined by Stu. Stay safe and we'll catch you again next time.